maybe your challenge today is to do a bit less, is to like reframe what the work is and um, to, to make that work or that um, endeavor really be about feeling um, your sense of belonging in a place and making those connections and taking a moment. When the air around us is poisoned, when things are difficult, you know, it shows. And then we have to think about how we can build our resiliency to help carry us through. This is Healing Justice podcast bridging conversations at the intersection of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Werning, and today we're talking with two of the collective members from Third Root Community Health Center in Brooklyn, Jelani Fontaine and Emily Kramer. We talk about the physical symptoms they've been seeing in the people that come to the health center since the 2016 election, how this political environment is literally making us sick and also in some ways is nothing new. We discuss what de-spa-ifying healing can look like in order to create everyday practices as opposed to luxury relaxation, and also creating accessible spaces, both practical things that we can do in any convening of people to create more accessibility, and also why we will never be completely accessible, but what we can do about that anyway. The other members of this multiracial, cross-class, intergenerational community and worker-owned cooperative are Nicolette Dixon, Julia Bennett, and Jomo Alakwe Simmons. And I'm extra excited to share this conversation with you because I admired Third Root from afar when I was living in Milwaukee for so many years for the way that this community is held as a healing space that is full of practitioners that are also politicized and active in their own right and building diverse healing community. And so when I moved to Brooklyn, New York, I made sure to move just a couple blocks away from the studio so that I could partake in the classes there, be part of the community, and I also teach a couple weekly yoga classes at Third Root. So welcome to a part of my life and my own community, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. So welcome, y'all. I feel like I shouldn't be saying welcome to you because I'm in really your space <laughs> and to some degree our space as I've come to be part of the community here at Third Root. And um, we're sitting down in one of the cozy treatment rooms in the basement. Um, right now the microphone is kind of the patient on the table. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, in the right. middle. Yeah, microphone is on the massage table. Um, and I'm so happy to be talking to both of you because um, each of you and then also the other members of the collective here and the other kind of greater, greater members of the community here at Third Root have been such a home community for me um, here in Brooklyn um, around what it is to do healing work that is deeply rooted in community and um, a liberatory framework. Mm. Um, so I want to thank you for being here and also invite you to introduce yourselves. Do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. My name is Emily Kramer. I teach yoga at Third Root and I am involved with many of our operations projects. Um, I use she and her pronouns. I'm a queer white woman. I live in this neighborhood and have been living in New York for the last 17 years, mm. but I'm originally from upstate New York. 
And I'm Jelani Fontaine, and um, I'm a Latinx Brooklynite by birth, <laughs> and I'm an acupuncturist and also a co-collective member with Emily here at Third Root Community Health Center. And um, I, yeah, those are my main things. I'm a queer and trans person. I'm non-binary. I use they and them pronouns, um, and I'm left-handed. I'll add that because I don't add that enough. <laughs> <laughs> Um, awesome. And then just by means of kind of identifying the place, could you share a little bit about how Third Root came to be or what is the mission of this place? Because it's very clear to me ever since I walked in the door that this is not your average community health center. So what is this spot? Hmm. Um, I'll start by saying that um, Third Root started out as an organization that was always going to be collectively run and owned. And um, that was a vision from the beginning and has continued, you know, into this day. So there was definitely a, a real sense of having this be a place that grew from community as opposed to something that was kind of imposed on community. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of awareness from the two people who started it and from the original organizing group that started Third Root that so much of the kind of holistic medicine that we provide is something that is uh, spotified. You know, if I can use that as a word, um, something that has become kind of exclusive or related to um, to excess and relaxation and something that isn't necessarily um, central to people's lives. And in fact, the medicine that we provide and the practices we provide are very central traditionally to people's lives and are about everyday sustainability and everyday um you know, also everyday liberation in a big way, you know, the ways that we can expand beyond, uh, you know, our own our own work and our own lives. So, yeah, there was a sense of, well, everything is going to be sliding scale. Mm. We're going to think about how we can make this place as accessible as possible. That's definitely one of the values that was listed out in the website from the very beginning. Um, so I think that was the first thing that I know for me as someone joining was very striking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Third Root's reputation precedes it in many, many places. Um, Third Root began in 2008 with, it's uh, good to name the, the people that mm -hmm. started it, um, Green, Waylon Wellen, Green, thank you, <laughs> and Jacoby Ballard, um, who carried this vision forward. Um, and it was a time, I think, when the concept of health justice was less uh, prevalent than it is in this moment. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement is very infused with spirituality, very infused with um, community care, self-care as part of the politics. But in 2008, it was a really different kind of political moment where um, there was a lot more, in, in my experience anyway, working within immigrants' rights work, um, student organizing and, and things like this. There was a very, uh, much more of an antagonistic uh, culture where um, it was uh, keep going forwards no matter what mm -hmm. and um, people of course who are dealing with systemic oppression are very likely to have that show up and present in different ways in the physical body in interpersonal relationships as well as generally not having access to resources as easily as um, someone from a more normative position um, societally with um, financial wealth, etc. So um, the founding of Third Root had a lot to do with recognizing the place of healing within social justice movements mm -hmm. um, that to 
heal bodies that have suffered oppression in different ways is actually, as Jelani mentioned, totally part of the liberation of all of us. Um, and the fact that that's so hard to get to, that it is a boutique experience or a spa experience mm -hmm. um, is kind of insult to injury as well. Like, wow, okay, so we can't even find a, a way to, to access medicines and techniques and traditions that originally had come out of marginalized communities or presently marginalized communities globally. Um, so I think just just in existing as it is, it mm. speaks to um, this uh, liberation of kind of uh, within the social justice culture of like, okay, we can bring healing from one another out and let that infuse and shape the movement. So I know that Green and, and Jacoby were really, really committed to that. Third route was, um, I think in the very beginning, a big part of it was like, uh, an intention and hope that there would be partnership from um, many different social justice organizations and that we would be really a hub, a place where people could come and know that their full identities would be seen and held. Mm -hmm. And that's continued to be true. Um, we've had a lot of different partnerships um, over the years with various grassroots organizations, community-based groups. Um, yeah. I really appreciate you lifting up the ways in which um, experiences of oppression and marginalization um, show up physically. Uh, this past weekend I was working with a group up in um, Manhattan and there's this question that I've been asking and uh, doing resilience workshops recently and like having people um, raise their hand if they feel like over the past year they have experienced physical or emotional symptoms that feel related to the political shift that's happening. Um, and like the vast majority of people raise their hands. And I'm curious in getting to observe people walking through the door here, what are some of the things specifically that you see either about this political moment or just about working, you know, since 2008 with mm -hmm. people who are facing systemic oppression on a daily basis. What are some of the, the specific physical or emotional ways that you see that showing up in folks' bodies? Um, I would start out by saying that it's stuff that we've always seen because, um, you know, these kinds of oppressions have been part of uh, the lives of people through generations and generations. Mm -hmm. But there has been something that's been more keen about recent days in which different kinds of harassment and violence seem to be able to rise to the surface without being challenged as easily by the powers that be. And, and that's felt particularly frightening. When the election happened, we actually had uh, a, a viewing here that night. Mm -hmm. yeah, I came. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all those parties just turned yeah. real dark real quick. Yeah. And, you know, we nobody here was necessarily waving a I'm with her flag. But, right. Um, mm. But then things shifted and it was just um there was an outpouring of community members arriving and saying what's third route doing mm -hmm. really looking to us as a beacon in the community and um Jelani mentioned at this earlier in describing how third route was founded that really like it was the community that saw third route as a space to come together and create something um mm -hmm. the money that was raised from that experience from the post-election experience was actually generated entirely from yeah. community members that wasn't a third route like yeah. pitch um and we raised i believe it was about five thousand yeah. dollars 
Um, and we meaning literally people in the community who mobilized each other and themselves, like from the community that had mm -hmm. been built here, uh, which was just uh, a really beautiful um, kind of promise coming true of, of what this center um, was, was built for. And we, we put it out that people could access services for free or for donation, very low cost. Um, people of color, people with disabilities, people who were survivors of different kinds of trauma, but also anybody who was experiencing trauma, you know, in any, in any kind of way over this time. So there was a big mix of people who came through the doors and, uh, and shared that space together. Um, and what we've seen, I actually, right after the election, I treated a lot of people for nausea. Mm. You know, which which sounds like it could be a little bit of a joke if it were. It's something that we were all living through, you know, but but literally nausea, yeah. um, digestive complaints. Mm. Um, people who were dealing with autoimmune issues were having flare-ups in major ways, mm. pain. Um, I think also through the past year, I've seen more people who've come in and had recent incidents of violence in public, yeah. who've survived different incidents of violence in public. And we've always seen survivors of many um, many different kinds of histories um, here at Third Route, but things that have been recent, people who've been in public transportation and harassed, um, people who've been attacked by a stranger in the street, there's been more of that that I've seen. And I think that related to all of this, many people have expressed not only a sense of fear, and uh, but also a sense of isolation. Yeah. which is one of the things that we always try to address in a big way. And it's one of the reasons we do things like community acupuncture along with private sessions so people can be treated in a space together. But that seemed to me over the past year to become even more prevalent as a need, mm. you know, that just to be able to, to see each other and to be together and to know that we're not alone. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll give my own like personal reflection. I was realizing I'm, I'm dealing with some autoimmune issues myself and I was realizing over the past month that one of the things that's been happening for me is I deal with rash like hives every day and every day I have to manage it you know and figure out some different ways of dealing with it depending on how badly it is it is happening at that moment but what I realized is they started after the election and it's I'm coming up on a year anniversary you know dealing with this particular autoimmune thing. Yeah, I echo a lot of what Jelini's sharing. Um, what I've seen um, pretty persistently is people dealing with insomnia, not being able to rest, um, really agitated mental state, a lot of fear and sense of helplessness. So I've experienced um, students having a sense of, um, I don't want to use the word safe space because I think that there's um, no real such thing, but I think that there is an expectation from our community that this is a haven and people can walk in the space and feel comfortable to just literally sit down, even if they're not re receiving a service. We had a lot of that in the last year, people walking off the street, mm -hmm. just coming to sit down and say, I just needed to be somewhere where I felt held um, and I feel so much better just walking in this space. Um, so I, I feel really um, honored that we can provide that space for people just by being in proximity, by being near mm -hmm. one another, um, as well as the sharing that happens within yoga classes that will happen casually in the lobby, um, mm -hmm. that there is real healing in that and witnessing one another's mm -hmm. different 
struggles and, and fears and kind of relating and being able to then kind of laugh about it. Uh, yeah, breaking the isolation of it. Um, it's interesting. We had an open house. This is related to what we're talking about. We had an open house on Saturday, mm-hmm. and I taught a workshop that was about um, self-defense and self-care and hard times. And there, most of the discussion and most of the group work was around boundary setting. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about how... You know, boundaries are very much like what we call Wei Qi, you know, in Chinese medicine, that sense of, you know, your actual immunity protecting you, you know, as, as a kind of barrier, but it's semi-permeable. So it sends out what you don't need and it pulls in what you do need, you know, like your lungs pulling in air, oxygen, you know, and then exhaling carbon dioxide. And there was very much that sense of, uh, you know, like we're all, we're all trying to navigate that in different ways. And when the air around us is poisoned, when things are difficult, you know, it shows. And then we have to think about how we can build our resiliency to help carry us through. So these conversations, I think, are really present all the time mm-hmm. for us at Third Room, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the boundaries piece feels so critical to me, especially now, like where there's this moment of, um, as you're saying, holding both the tension of like, that these things have been happening forever and there's a particular Mm -hmm. season of visibility happening right now that is that is activating and I feel like over this past year and hopefully hopefully impeachment and our movements can have some great victories and all this stuff is possible but also settling into the reality that like oftentimes countries go through very regressive times for a while. Mm-hmm. And I don't think until just now I've really been allowing myself to imagine that that is, that is, could be where I live right now. Like that three more years or seven more years or like, like what yeah. would be this season. Right. And, um, I think that invites a different a different reflection around boundaries. And one of the questions I've been asking people is like, you know, do do folks experience guilt about turning off the news or like creating boundaries in your own life of actually like mm-hmm. not just allowing the constant inpouring to happen? And I feel like that is such a major key for our sustainability is just like actually saying all of this suffering and aggression is happening in the world and I'm going to make some choices that are within my control about how much of it I'm taking in on a daily basis and some of that of course is out of our control and that's very disproportionate for some people than others who are in the receiving end of uh, a lot of systems of oppression right like some things you don't get to say mm-hmm. I won't receive this but I'm curious like has there any, been anything specific like that um, in terms of news or social media or like any of the boundary conversations that have felt like this place or the healing work that you both do has been able to support people in actually setting up firmer boundaries around? I think about that a lot as an individual. And I think that as an individual, one of the things that helps me is to remember the work that I do, Mm. you know, and to kind of ground myself in that. Um, And I also think that the, the work that we do that is healing work for ourselves and for our communities that's also liberation work, I think it sometimes can look different when there are times of extreme oppression, repression. Um, And I I think that sometimes it can be harder to recognize, you know, that doing things like making sure that you're checking in on friends, you know, um, making, you know, trying to make sure that you get food that you need so that you can 
rest and you can sleep at night, you can get up in the morning, you know, thinking about how much work we take on, you know, those choices, as much as we can mediate those things, make such a difference, really mm -hmm. simple things. And that definitely comes up in conversations that I have with patients who come to me, you know, what are, you know, what are the things that are, you know, that are within our control, you know, to help us through our everyday lives and what we're already doing to support ourselves and how does that grow the capacity mm -hmm. to do different things in the world, you know, to create a new vision, to move towards it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think they're really, they're really vital conversations right now. That's been a really important thing, I think, for Third Root, not just when the, within the last year, but really for several years, it's this constant kind of conversation of like, how involved are we with grassroots movements locally and, yeah. um, sort of this funny internal conversation of like, are we a social justice organization or are we a health center? And it's like <laughs> somatic, uh, somatics, it's a semantics on a particular way, in a particular way, because of course what we're doing is social justice work. We're addressing mm -hmm. the entirety of people's beings and all of the different layers that everyone walks in with and all of the ways that our our spirit can be obstructed by different systemic and interpersonal forms of oppression and internalized oppression. Um, but we're not, we don't pretend to be an organization that's going to change health policy per se. We're not, we're not set up for that. We're such a small, I would say even almost at 10 years where we're just beyond fledgling. Yeah. Know? We're just <laughs> beyond fledgling. I, at this point, I want to mention that Emily's <laughs> cupping her hands together as if, <laughs> as if holding a tiny bird about to take flight. <laughs> And then I'm just, I'm raising it gently. It's all, it's wings are, are lifting too. So, and it's a beautiful place, but it's a tender place. And I think yeah. that um, we have to really, and this, I, I feel really on a personal level, really strongly about um, thinking or about what um, ableism, how ableism shows up in the workplace um, and in activism and in organizing, um, this sense of um, seeing uh, imagining that each person has the capacity and capability to do every possible action, to show up to everything, to um, make a bunch of stuff happen in a really short amount of time. I think that that's a real trapping of capitalism um, mm -hmm. when we start to model our healing work around like a productivity mechanism or machine. Um, that's something that I really struggle with a lot in trying to um, deal with, you know, my sense of scarcity, um, being like, all right, is, is this enough? Have we done enough? Um, and it's, it's, I feel like how could we not be having that conversation, um, in times when there are so many needs that aren't being met, mm -hmm. um, especially when we're seeing them in our neighborhood mm -hmm. and even within, you know, what part of our vision statement is that we're all healing. Yeah. It's not that we are not also dealing with the day-to-day -day stuff. Jelani mentioned condition that they're dealing with on a regular basis we're all dealing with various different kinds of struggles and we have to in order to really carry this work forwards find a, a pacing that that actually truly does work that that feels nurturing and supportive so it's really hard as a business mm -hmm. where we're making our livelihood we are a capitalist venture i mean just really straightforwardly but we do it in all the subversive ways that we can um and I think that that has, too, to do with the culture that we build. Um, that's something that I end up talking about a lot with my students, you know, around, like, 
maybe your challenge today is to do a bit less, is mm. to like reframe what the work is and um, to, to make that work or that um, endeavor really be about feeling um, your sense of belonging in a place and making those connections and taking a moment. I know at Third Root, it's it's kind of a, a funny thing. I was on a call yesterday outside the space. It was a Third Root related call. And I saw probably four or five people, very kindred mm. people that are part of our community, um, passing by. And I was like, okay, what is my work right now? Is my work to be like, I'm on a call on my phone pacing outside? Or is my work <laughs> to stop and make eye contact and have a conversation? Um, it's it, in different ways. I mean, that's a less like political boundary, but really how are we dealing with um, where we're giving our energy and if we are really about building community to be really open but not so open that you're you're left feeling mm. drained and depleted by it so I think that's something we all yeah. really deal with it's one of the things that always impressed me a lot about Third Root from the beginning when I was not part of the collective um, from the outside was knowing that everybody in the collective was not only welcome to, but really expected to receive services from other people in the collective. You know, that sense of, um, I can get a massage or I can, you know, get an herbal consultation and that we'll do that for each other for free. And that's that's something that's part of, uh, of our setup and it makes such a big difference. And I think, and we don't all take advantage of it a lot, you know, but I think one of the things, and we can, you know, there's the argument, like, we can definitely do that for each other more, yeah. but that sense of, here's this expectation that you will understand that this is available to you, and that you're nurturing yourself is something that matters in our collective work. Mm. I feel like, well, that's the vision of the world that I want to live in, you mm -hmm. know? Right. And to me, it's something that I'm really proud of, that we really maintain that. Um, and, I, you know, I want to take advantage of it more, for sure. But, you know, I think also, I, I sometimes in the, in the recent days, I've been seeing patients, and, and I've had that sense of um, of being able to start to mediate between, you know, just professional boundaries as we all do as practitioners and teachers, but also that sense of, ah, I, I recognize something in what they're dealing with and what I'm dealing with, mm. you know, and just kind of checking that and knowing that that gives me resources to be able to share and to do it in a way that feels sustainable and responsible for that person. Mm. Um, I think that there are those ways that we can draw on our hard experiences and lessons that we've learned and um, resources that we've been able to access and share them and share them across, you know, those, uh, those relationships. And to me, that feels like something that's really vital and, um, and for me personally, really important. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much to be said for vulnerability yeah. and knowing how and when to be vulnerable as as a teacher as a provider um, because I think it does create um, an entry point to bring in your own resources and how you've learned and um, supported your own healing but also for someone else to then um, feel really seen that 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 empathy that link is really um, made that's so valuable um, I was just thinking too, Jelani, when you were talking, I remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, I came in and um, I was coming to teach a class and I saw Jelani and I was like, Jelani, are you working now? 
And they were like, no, no, I just got a massage. And it made me so happy. <laughs> you had that like sleepy face. And I was like, are I you a massage okay? face? Put my face in the face, cradle. Yeah, you have a like little little imprint of that special, special face cradle. And um, so that made me so happy. And I'm so happy to hear you talk about it now. But you know what was beautiful about it? Hmm. Because I, I, I worked in that room. I saw one, two, three patients picked up the sheet took off my clothes and laid down yes. and someone came in for me you know yes. and gave Love me a lovely that. lovely massage it was great i didn't mean to interrupt you yeah no yeah. please um i was so happy to hear you talk about that and bring that in because i think you know it, it is an interesting dynamic that we've talked about a lot amongst ourselves too like should we mandate it should we be checking in like have you done an acupuncture session lately when was your last massage mm. you know we have it written into our um agreements uh, that it's there but i'm often really hesitant because i know everybody's taxed i don't want to add more it just feels you know and then i use that as an excuse to not not get in there and it's it's silly it's really silly i, I want to mm -hmm. work on that maybe in our little buddy system but that also gives you insight into people that you're working with people who are right. your students who are trying to navigate the same thing right. you know the pressures that tell them not to pay this special attention to themselves that somehow that they don't really need it you know and in mm -hmm. fact it's this thing that's really vital so mm -hmm. you right. know it's it, we're all human and we're all dealing with it <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I want to ask you too because there will be folks who are listening who are like one incredibly jealous that they don't live in Brooklyn and don't have access to come into Third Root, but then two are 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 resonating with what you're saying and are thinking like, how can we create a space of care that in the same way that you grapple with it in the collective and you have these special skills within the collective of like people who um, can perform ac acupuncture services or massage or are trained in yoga or like you have special training and skills here that many activist groups there are like people in the wings who totally have those skills and there's also rooms where there aren't people with those officialized skills right and so what are what are ways that you would recommend or see that that kind of culture of care could be uplifted more in an activist or organizer space um, even if there isn't an acupuncturist in the room right that's a great question I mean I'm, I'm thinking about some of the things that we even do amongst ourselves in our our meetings which you know as we just kind of had this mm -hmm. interaction it's we're subject to the same doubts and kind of wondering is this should i make the time some of the things that we do um we try in our meetings together to always prioritize holding one of our group agreements is are we holding uh, taking a moment to hold people who are, are having a, a difficult time um, so really like leaving space I think is really important um, I think if it is a more formalized group to have clear um, like start and end times and respect people's time so that there's not this feeling of of rushing I think I'm thinking more back to that the context of um, you know, the, the more of like a, an ableist perspective that you're not just like pushing, 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 and mm -hmm. that the most important thing is to get the items dealt with, mm -hmm. but to change the culture a little bit. And that's something that we do and have yeah. to kind of scale back all the time. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, one of the things that I think about a lot, and I've, I've, you've heard me say this a lot, Emily, 
but just uh, the notion that we're in this parallel process at Third Root as a collective. One is we're, you know, we're having the collective, you know, we're doing our work, we're helping other people in different ways, but we're also learning how to be a collective, learning how to share leadership and supporting each other in it. And also we're all dealing with our own healing. So these things are happening and they're not separate from each other. They're actually happening at the same time, even when we don't necessarily recognize that they are. So practices that reinforce that, like Emily mentioned, are um, guidelines you know, that tell us to check in with each other, but also check-ins at the beginning of any, any gathering, whether it's a phone meeting, conference call, or sit-down meeting, checking in in that way. I think that makes a really big difference. Um, I think also rotating roles and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And for some of those roles and responsibilities, be around being around holding space and making people comfortable, whether it's a person who's kind of checking vibes or a person who's providing the snacks for that meeting, mm -hmm. um, making sure people are fed. I think we're really good at making sure that we're fed. It's true. You know, That's that can't be discounted. No. That can't be minimized. Really? Yeah. It makes such a big difference. And, and we just make space for it always. So these are simple things, but I think that they do make a really big difference. And just recognizing that anything that we're that we're doing as a group is helping us grow in all of these different directions. So I'm learning by being an acupuncturist how to be an acupuncturist. I'm learning as a collective member how how to share leadership, you know, how to support admin, you know, also how to have an overall um, vision of the whole space mm -hmm. and how to work with people who have different work styles and different histories mm -hmm. who have similarities and differences you know um, and understanding the different things that come up for me around that which can be interesting and unexpected and exciting sometimes even <laughs> so I, I I think that the more that we make the the work that we're doing reflect the way we think we want things to be the better that it is mm. And I want to ask too, because I think both of you have mentioned in different moments about ableism and accessibility and mm -hmm. sort of like the, the extractive pushing pace that is a dominant culture within capitalism and also can be a dominant culture within activism. Um, and I'm curious if there are some practical tips in terms of ways that organizers can be thinking about accessibility um, for people with differently abled bodies, um, emotional capacities, right, pacing, like, what are some ways that you think organizers can be aware or asking themselves good questions about? How can I be designing spaces that include and uplift all the different ways of participating? I think one of the most important things is really understanding capacity. And of course, capacity shifts all the time. There have been times when we've received grant money through a fiscal sponsor that has allowed us to make changes in the space. There will be future times in which that will happen. Um, there have been times when that money has never been in existence and we couldn't even <laughs> imagine it would be there. Uh, so I think really knowing this, if, if it's an issue of a physical space that a group is already embodying, or if this is... Um, if it's a gathering that happens in different physical spaces, really being clear about what that space is. Are you able to access space that is more accessible for people in general? To recognize that access is not only about um, the ability to have ramps and for people in wheelchairs and scooters to come in, but also for people who are blind, for people who are in the deaf community or hard of hearing community, to be able to have 
interpreters, you know, and you know, there's different kinds of access that we can create. Also for people who come in and may need to be still or move around a lot, you know, but not necessarily participate in the same way as everybody else, to know that there are many different ways of participating in the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So recognizing all of those things is really important and how you can create that access, you know, will vary. We try to be really upfront about what we're able to provide in our space and what we're not. Um, some of our space is downstairs. Um, we do have one, one entrance that's wheelchair and scooter accessible, but our bathroom is not. And because we haven't been able to make a change to our bathroom right now, we make sure that we let people know that we have an arrangement with the food co-op across the street and that bathroom is a public bathroom that's clean and accessible. So we also think about all of the events that we put out having a space access statement attached to them, having that also be on our website. Mm -hmm. Also, there are things we might not be able to imagine, you know, that, that people may need. We want to know what those things are. We are always open to thinking about it and considering and negotiating and seeing what we can do within our capacity to make it more possible for people to be here. Mm -hmm. And and that's always an ongoing journey. And I think a good way of thinking about it is you're never completely accessible. What are you doing? How is this something that's an active active journey, you know, that everybody's a part of. Right. Mm -hmm. Jelani, you kept, you kept like nailing each of the things I was about to say. So <laughs> oh, yeah. And, oh, you I said know, it. I was looking down at my hands and I'm like, I'm talking like my mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I really appreciate what you said there at the end, Jelani, about um, it's an ongoing process. Um, I think such an important part of it is to recognize that there are endless permutations of human beings and experiences and needs and you're not going to know by looking at someone what those are um, and I think assumptions are one of the most dangerous and harmful things that um, we can make against one another so I think for us it's a it's just a constant process of being really open-minded and communicating something that um, I learned from um, some friends of mine that do bending towards justice, uh, social justice um, yoga training program is to always ask in a group, what are your access needs? Mm -hmm. And that's a really important way to create the space for people whose um, needs you may think you know from looking, but maybe you really don't, um, or things that you might not have even thought of at all. Um, like, you know, whether it's from someone saying, I'm really going to need to sit and crochet as I'm doing this, it doesn't mean I'm not listening to you, whatever it is, um, that that space is made and there's no shame. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's a really important piece. And, and I think also just um, being open to different creative responses makes a big difference. I know we had a lot of conversation recently about sense sensitivity, you know, and how that can be really difficult for people. And we talked about, can we make some room scent free? And it just really isn't in our capacity to do that because of the different modalities that use scents for different purposes. Um, but we could with our cleaner, cleaning fluids, we could with our soaps. Also doing things like maybe having, you know, having masks available mm -hmm. if somebody needs one in the space. So there are the changes that we could make and then there are the ones that we couldn't. And just knowing what those were and really being transparent about it as much as possible. Perhaps a new group agreement or guideline, which I love that I've heard in a bunch of different places, is to expect the unexpected. Yeah. And kind of 
be ready and, and available for whatever changes and changes in people's capacity mm-hmm. happen because that's that's another truth that you know with various kinds of disability at some moments it's really necessary to make some accommodations and at others it's not as necessary and it's really unpredictable so to have that sense of um of not knowing and being okay with that i think that's really a, a life practice on a lot of levels but can really support people with different needs mm. yeah thank you um well i know that we're going to be sharing a short practice together um but i also just want to ask before we close if there's any final comments that you want to make about just your work and mission here and the ways in which the healing work is political and if our politics isn't healing it's not working like um just thinking about the name of this podcast is healing justice and really making the case for the fact that these things are deeply interconnected i think what i would add is what our banner says in the lobby (laughs) Mm -hmm. we all belong we're all healing we're all welcome here in our wholeness do you want to sing the song with me yes (laughs) (laughs) i wish nicolette could come in We all belong, we are all healing, we are all welcome here in our wholeness. Yes! (laughs) Our first first kids' summer camp included that song in the beginning and the end of every session. Yeah. So those of you out there listening, if you come to visit us at Third Root (laughs) and you sing that song... You'll I get a discount on you will, I personally will give you one of my comp yoga classes. Come and sing that song. <laughs> oh, um, so I know Jelani, you're gonna share a short practice with us. Will you just let us know what to expect? What is it for? Sure, it's called emotional freedom technique, which uh, some people may have heard about. And it's a short practice that includes using different acupuncture points and tapping at them in order to kind of get to a place where we feel like we have our resources available to us. Whether we're dealing with issues of pain or anxiety or a lot of different things. Awesome, so if you're interested in trying that technique with Jelani, download the accompanying practice. And thank you so much, Emily and Jelani and the whole Third Root family um, for talking with us and for the beautiful work that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Pleasure. You just heard a conversation between Kate Warning and Emily Kramer and Jelani Fontaine of Third Root Community Health Center. You can download the corresponding emotional freedom technique practice recorded by Jelani to try on some of this work for yourself. And if you're new to the podcast, know that we record conversations that release every Tuesday and the corresponding practice that you can listen to and practice at home comes out on Thursdays. You can keep in touch with Third Root Community Health Center via their website at thirdroot.org. And if you live in New York and check out the class schedule, remember to take Emily up on her offer to sing the song and come to one of her yoga classes for free. You can access the resources that we reference in this conversation and sign up to stay in touch by visiting healingjustice.org. You can follow us on Instagram at Healing Justice, find us on Facebook or Twitter. Those links are all in the show notes. 
big gratitude to a new collaborator for Healing Justice Podcast, Yoshi Fields, for editing this episode. And as always, to Zach Meyer of The Cold Room for mixing and mastering the sound. Our whole team is volunteer on Healing Justice Podcast, and we even spend our own money to cover the tech costs. So if you are in a position to chip in, please join us by contributing at patreon.com slash healing justice. And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review in iTunes to help us continue. Thank you for your commitment to building movements that liberate all of us. Hear you next week.